0: Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles DeHart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles DeHart.
1: Welcome, guys and gals, to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast, where we'll provide all the relevant information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, along with my co-host and business partner, Charles DeHart. Charles, how are you doing today? Doing
2: awesome. How are you doing
1: today? I'm doing incredible. I'm super excited to, to chat about this uh, this this park. This is a recent acquisition that we did today, and we're going to give you guys a case study on. So I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into the nitty and gritty with you because I know that you and I have we've obviously talked about this thing for for a long time now, and um, you and I know kind of the internal numbers, but we've never really sat down for an hour and chatted about it. So I'm excited to kind of go through you know beginning to end on this property and just share with our listeners, um, you know. How well this deal went for us, and just really that it's it. This is it's a normal deal. It went really well, but it's a really a normal deal. And there's other deals out there like that, and so that's why um I want our listeners to get excited because there are other opportunities just like this
2: one that are sitting out there, right for the picking. Would you agree with me, Charles? Oh, absolutely. I think we've got probably two or three in our pipeline right now that are very similar to the way this one's. This one's going to perform. Yep, I agree. And so, so today, Charles and I are going to be discussing really the just the nitty and gritty details
1: of of this recent acquisition. It was a, on a mobile home park in Virginia, and this will allow you to see step by step how we you know how we found this off market deal, how we identified the opportunity that we had at hand, and also negotiated some killer terms with the seller on owner financing. And we're going to share all this information with you so that you can learn from our proven pr- processes and techniques that we use and apply them to your own business so that you, too, can find these diamonds in the rough. And like I said, I, I don't even know if I call them diamonds in the rough because, really, there's, there's other opportunities out there just sitting. There's probably hundreds of them out there just waiting for you guys to, uh, to stumble across. So. Charles, I'm gonna pass it back to you here for for a few seconds, and uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit of, of how we initially found this park, because we did this one through our database, a database that you have really helped us develop. I mean, you have been an integral part of creating this uh, this master database of parks throughout multiple different states, and so tell our listeners a little bit how
2: we've actually even tracked this deal down to start off with. Sure, like you said, we, we've got a database, and um, you know, it, it really has evolved over the last couple of years. We, I think we started with 15 markets in that database, and uh, this was actually one of the original markets that we started with, and we used to build our database. We kind of used a couple of different resources. So there's some other databases that are that are floating around that you can get your hands on uh, for our industry. You can use ListSource, you can use Mobile Home Village, um, and things like that to to kind of build a database. So we kind of collected all of those different sources together and, and built this one database that had you know some of the park some parks are listed in in some databases and not in others so we've kind of put them all together and then in addition to that we've also you know either it's me or a virtual assistant once we have all the parks located uh, off of those databases we'll actually go back into it into that into a map and search the entire area for other parks that that aren't on those databases and this particular park happened to be one of the ones that uh, we found that, that weren't in any of the other uh, resources, any other databases. So it was kind of exciting because we did know that uh, this park had probably never been marketed to in the past. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, from there, it's pretty simple from there. You just go through county records to pull the owner's name out. Um, this one wasn't owned in an, in an entity, so it was a, it was the owner's personal name. And... You know, the next step would then be to go to the Secretary of State website, if you, if it's an ent- entity, and then search for the uh, the members and the managers of the LLCs. Uh, and then from there, we went through TLO. So it's a, it's a resource that we use quite often in our business uh, to get accurate mailing addresses and phone numbers. So for this particular park, all of his mail was going to his CPA. So... You know, we had to go through TLO to actually get uh, his his personal residence, his mailing address for his personal residence. So it, w- it was quite a process, and it it you know it it really came together. And uh, I want to highlight
1: a few things right there, Charles. Is uh, you'd mentioned that. Number one, uh, th- this park, it, it was owned in his personal name. It wasn't even an entity, which is kind of ironic because this guy was actually a um, uh, an attorney. I mean, he a, he's an attorney. He was a practicing attorney for like 50 or 60 years, but yet he owned this park for 30 years and it was owned in his personal name. And um, it's not like he was actually handling his own finances. He's got this, you know... Pretty established CPA firm that has managed his finances for the past fifty years, and they never even gave him the advice that he should have this thing in a in an entity for, for you know for asset protection or personal protection as well. And so that was just kind of ironic that he owned this thing in his personal name. And so, Charles, what I'd like to do is tell our listeners a little bit about you know how we actually were able to reach out to this individual and and what type of um, what, what type of uh, direct mail he responded to, and so. I took your database, I took your information, and I sent this this property owner a handwritten letter um, because I noticed through his age, which we extracted from TLO, we knew what his approximate age was. And being that he owned this thing in his own individual name, not in an entity, we knew pretty well that he was just a mom and, top, mom and pop style owner. And so I sent him a personalized direct mail letter, which is what he responded to. And so... He responded to that letter and we had a a very thorough first phone call together. I'm the one that received the call and we spent about an hour on the phone together and we were able to accomplish a lot in that very first hour. We were able to go through the numbers, um, you know what the park was doing on a gross basis, a net operating income basis. Um, we went through, we talked about its 2014 numbers. We even talked about price. Then we talked about pricing or what he would, what he thought it was worth, what he would sell it for, and even discussed some initial terms of owner financing. So we we accomplished a lot on that first call. And and what we found out from that very first call, what I noticed in that very first call when we started talking about the financials. Uh, I realized that he was running this park very, very poorly. In fact, based on the numbers he gave me, he was running it at a roughly an eighty-eight percent expense ratio. So, eighty-eight percent expense uh, ratio of the gross income that it brought in, and it really that park really, I knew just. Based on the information he gave me, you know, asking him about how many park owned homes there were, how many units were in the park, you know, was there management on site, what what were the age of the units, all these different questions. I knew that this thing really should have been running more in the fifty percent range. So I knew that something was drastically wrong with this park in, in terms of the operations of it. So at that point in time, I knew I had to really have a hard conversation with this owner um t- to see how much further this conversation would go and to see if we'd be able to come to some kind of reasonable terms on buying this park from him and so you know being that it was running at an eighty eight percent expense ratio that meant that the you know just give you some really quick numbers I, th- I believe the gross income for two thousand and fourteen on this park was uh in the two hundred and
2: two hundred and thirty range is that correct charles do you remember yeah the the gross on this park i think two thousand and fourteen the See, 2014 gross was about 225, and then the net ended up being about 26. About 26, okay, yeah. yeah. So
1: maybe that equates to 88 percent, maybe a little bit higher, a little bit lower than that. But um, so right then and there, I knew I had to ha- have a hard conversation with this owner because as Charles and I, as as we always like to say to one another, that we're only going to pay for something based on how it's operating today, right? And so typically what you would do is you would associate a, a cap rate or whatever you thought that, that asset would sell for in that marketplace, like whatever cap rate, cap rate should be applied to that particular type of asset. Uh, you apply a cap rate to the NOI, and that's how you arrive at your value, right? Well. I knew right away, just from talking with this guy, from the looks of the park, from the area that it was in, that if I turned around and offered him, based on what I thought was a 10 cap, I mean, really, it's a 10 cap market. If I offered him the value based on a 10 cap, which would be $260,000, that that would have ended the call right then and there. I mean, I just knew he wouldn't go for it. And I thought, that just wasn't fair, right? It's worth more than that. And I knew that there was some kind of very large problem that was happening with the operations that I didn't know what it was yet, but I figured that... We could probably fix it. and um and so, basically, what I told him, I just kind of worked into the conversation as though, here's how we evaluate things. You know, we utilize cap rates based on my research. I know that this park would you know would sell would trade on about a ten cap. And with that being said, you know, and I'm not going to make you this offer. I just want you to know this is typically how things are evaluated. That means your park really isn't worth today more than $260,000. And so I just kind of threw that out there because I wanted him to realize that his park was being run very poorly. And so I basically, we went back and forth and I told him that I think I I was pretty confident that we could run it better than what he was doing. I didn't know what the problems were yet, but I felt like there definitely were some problems and there was money being wasted. But with that being said, we're not gonna pay him top dollar for it if we've gotta go in and do all the the heavy lifting, right? And so we went back and forth for a while. and, and basically he, what he told me to do is he said, Kevin, I want you to go ahead and just throw out your number, the number that you think would work for you, and I'll give you my feedback. And so I think I initially threw out a number of $600,000. And uh, in my mind, what I was thinking is based on how this park was grossing, you know, $230,000 or $225,000, if we could get it down to that 50% expense ratio, which we, we knew it should be running at, that we could easily double the value. Right, I mean that, that's that's how my mind was working, but I didn't know how much heavy lifting was going to be done to achieve that 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 increase in the uh, the NOI or to you know lower the expenses, and so I threw out six hundred, and he came back to me and basically said that that's lower than what he was thinking, and uh, which kind of scared me. I just in my mind I'm thinking God, he's going to throw out like a million bucks or something like that. And there's no way we're paying a million bucks for this thing, and he came back <laughs> and said I was thinking more along the lines of seven hundred thousand. And when he said that, I said, "You know, I think we could possibly meet in the middle, but that 'd be about the the best that I could possibly do and so that's that 's what ended up happening uh, we We met in the middle i mean i 'm kind of shortening this whole conversation, but we met in the middle on the price of the six fifty After that point in time, we went into a deep conversation about well, no bank 's going to finance this thing because your financials are horrible, like this park is being run very poorly, so any bank in their right mind." Is not going to finance it for the 650 because technically we're overpaying for it. And so that's when we opened up the conversation about owner financing as well. And so, anyway, long story short, we were able to negotiate 650 purchase price, pretty killer owner financing terms on this, on this deal. Um, he was going to take, uh, I believe, 25% down. Charles, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what we ended up putting
2: down on that one, 25%? Yeah, it was 25% down. Uh, it was amortized over 20, I think it was 25 years. And then it was a 7% interest rate with a balloon and seven.
1: Yep, blue and seven. Yep, that, that's right. So anyway, th- we did a lot of that over that that first conversation. We discussed a lot of these terms, although they weren't set in stone. This guy was kind of old school, and so he wanted to do things a person. In fact, he even asked me if I would fly up there to meet him, and this, I, I don't fly anywhere unless we have something under contract, right? I mean, everyone's word, I, I believe, is good until they give me a reason to believe that it's not good, but I'm still not going to spend hundreds of dollars on airfare and hotel stays just because I had a 1 hour conversation with this this individual and so i just had to be going up to Pennsylvania to visit family in a few weeks and um Pennsylvania was only about uh about a 2 hour drive or at least where i was from Pennsylvania it was about a 2 hour drive from where um uh, or actually it was about halfway 2 hours about halfway from Washington DC which is where this this owner lived and so we agreed to meet halfway at a little diner and um at that point we just like you you've heard probably stories of in the past we literally scratched from the back back of a napkin the terms we had originally discussed and Put it on paper, but still didn't have a contract in place. So, um, didn't really get a contract in place until how long, Charles? It was about four months later. I mean, it was a long time before yeah. we actually got a contract in place. So,
2: I think it was even after our first visit. We, we, yeah, that's right. We,
1: well, we felt comfortable by that point in time because he yeah. had some time committed. We had time committed. And um, he was just an old school guy. Like, he was so hard nosed that Charles and I just felt like, it probably could have killed the deal if we'd have pushed him too hard to get a contract in place beforehand. So we just kind of trusted our gut and ran with it. So Charles, I'm gonna pass it back to you because what I'd like to do now is, so that's kind of the, uh, well that's kind of the gist of how we initially came across this deal and um, a little bit of the negotiations process that we had with this owner. But so after that point in time, we really went into the due diligence process and we went into this due diligence process before Again, like Charles said, before we even had it under contract, I believe at least we started the due diligence process before we had this thing under contract. So, Charles, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it back to you here, back to you for a few minutes, and let you talk a little bit about
2: the due diligence process and how that looked for that particular park. Sure, it was a, it was a pretty easy due diligence process. Um, you know, fr- from our standpoint, we were you know with him working with a CPA, it, w- it was really really super easy for us to get all of the financial documents. We got. Um, pretty much everything we requested above and beyond what we even requested, uh, for everything. So we, we got financials all the way back fi- I think five years. Uh, we got, you know, they didn't really give us a rent roll. They, they kind of, I think they were using QuickBooks or something. They didn't have like a rent roll, but they gave us, um, you know, a full accounts receivable, full accounts of payable, uh, stuff. We, we were really able to get, I mean, I don't know how many documents they they put on us. It was it was oh, a massive. It point. was a ra- ridiculous yeah. amount.
1: Yeah, supposedly he gets like this uh, this this monthly financial report that that CPA prepares for him, and so along with that, I mean, the, the, along with that and everything else, I mean, he's I got these two very thick Manila envelopes sent to me. They were ginormous, the biggest due diligence package I've ever
2: seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, it was substantial amount of information. So we got everything. We got to look at literally everything that was happening financially before we made the trip. And I think that's, um, you know, again, like you said, it's not, it kind of didn't follow the normal process, but, you know, he had a lot of time invested into it. You could see, you could really see that he was serious about this. Um, But so when we made our first trip, we already knew pretty much exactly what was going on uh, financially in the park. And we really just went out there and we did some inspection on the park owned homes, um, which they were, they were surprisingly, a lot better than we, we thought they would they would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took some photos, met with the city officials, we met with the manager. Uh, our meeting with the manager was, was enlightening because it kind of shed some light on where a lot of these expenses were going. He had basically turned over control of the finances into the manager's hands where the manager was sort of like acting like a contractor and billing the park uh, for any work that he deemed necessary. And I don't, you know, normally you would you would think maybe um, you know he was stealing money or something like that, but that that wasn't really what was going on. But he would, well, like for instance, in 2014, he spent twenty one thousand dollars on uh, on tree trimming. So that that was one of the expenses. He had a bunch of hired help that wasn't necessary. It was it was just a, a number of things that if he had never turned control over for, uh, for those items, then he would have never had this problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we and we didn't know going into this if. Um you know, if we were going to have to let go of the, that, that management career or not. So it was a grandfather. Uh, he was the manager, and he had been a manager for like 25 years. And uh, his grandson was a full-time handyman, and um, he had been a handyman. I don't know how many years, Charles, maybe 15 years, a long time. And he was on, he was on payroll. I mean, he was on salary yeah. and payroll. And what we identified is that, number one, that's odd. For that size of park, it's a 52-space park, and um, that's abnormal to see – a full time handyman on payroll for that size of park. Maybe if you have like a 200 space park with a lot of park owned homes, then you got someone that's on payroll. But in any event, he was on payroll at twenty four thousand dollars a year. But then the manager also received a separate compensation along with you know free housing and things like that. So, but what was happening is that although they had this full time manager on staff or this full time handyman on staff, they were delegating out the work. So he was. The, the handy mail is basically acting like a project manager, and so whenever anything needed done, renovational units, uh, tree trimming, um, anything i mean roof coatings, whatever it might be, he was just delegating it out <laughs> and acting as a project <laughs> manager, and just you know had three other guys that were that were on payroll that they were paying to do all this little miscellaneous work when he should have been doing it himself, so we knew that right away that that would have to change, and that we could easily change that system and we could start firing you know those people that were on payroll. And um, that we could reduce these expenses immediately, just from looking at those financials before we even—and that—that was before we even made the trip to the park. We could see right away that there's some issues here. Who are all these people getting paid? And um, you know, we so we started like kind of checking line items off, saying that's not needed. That's three times higher than what it needs to be. And I—I I forget what we arrived at, Charles, but we we did feel very confident that we'd be able to get this thing down to about 50 you percent
2: know, pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I mean the the first the, the first. Uh Thing again was those three employees they were they were probably paying those guys collectively about fifty thousand a year i think is what it was two of them were sort of full-time they were kind of hourly uh but they they sort of worked almost full-time and then another the one was a part-time guy uh, the third guy was mm-hmm. um the, you know the second thing you know that was a, that was a really big red flag but the second thing that was also um a pretty big red flag that You can see just by looking at a profit and loss statement is that they didn't do, they didn't have an application process. They didn't do any tenant screenings. So with these thirty-one park-owned homes they had, they were churning some of these homes over. I think I think one of the homes actually turned over four times in one year. Mm -hmm. So those were both both very easily fixable problems. You know, the, the first one we just didn't hire those three guys. And then the second one we just implemented the screening process and it it pretty much fixed everything.
1: Yeah, it did fix everything. You know, that's so just to go a little deeper into what Charles mentioned there about one unit turned, you know, four times in one year. Well, a lot of the other units were turning at least two times per year. And so what was happening is this park was was fifty-two it was fifty-one or fifty-two spaces, Charles. Fifty-two, correct? Yeah, it was it was a fifty-two space park and there were thirty one park owned homes. Thirty one park owned homes, yeah, from day Mm -hmm. one. And so what was happening is if you could fog a mirror and you had the first month's rent and a security deposit, you moved in. And that was per the instructions of the owner. You know, this 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 previous owner who was an attorney, which you think would be very strict about who lived in his community. Well, he basically gave instructions to the manager that you take money. If they've got money in hand and they're flashing it in your face, you take their money and you let them move in. Well, That was a big issue because he was turning these things left and right. And not only was he just turning them, but the problem is they would move in, maybe pay a month or two, maybe three months if they are lucky, and then stop paying. We'd have to evict them, which costs money. Uh, It costs money and also costs time. But then as soon as we got them out or as soon as he got them out, they'd have to go in and renovate the unit. And so, remember, they were delegating all this work out. And so, not only were they paying the, the handyman twenty four thousand a year, but they are delegating all this rehab work. And so, they would turn a unit, have to hire these crews to come in, do the work, rent it back out to, to a scumbag that was going to turn around and get kicked out again in just a few months. And so, they were basically like a net zero, actually probably a negative on these thirty one rental trailers. Would you agree with me on that, Charles? In terms of did they make any money with these trailers? I would have to say that they did not. There was zero no, they, money
2: being made from these thirty one rental trailers that was funny they were They were also so far below market on their i mean their lot rents were were pretty close to market. They were right around two eighty on their lot rent uh but they were renting these homes for uh, some of these homes were rented for three fifty so mm-hmm. if, you, if you take out the the two eighty they basically rented the home for seventy bucks so you know they were so far below market on a lot of these homes. that they really didn't generate any revenue off of off of the home and they were spending i think the repair and maintenance bill for the entire year in 2014 was 125 thousand (laughs) dollars. so yeah very everything very everything that went into the everything that went into repairs and maintenance um pretty much all of it had to deal with these these uh four employees if you count the the maintenance man all those were were sent through there and then all of the building materials used to renovate these units mm-hmm. were, were also included, and then like tree trimming and you know stuff like that.
1: The good the good thing for us is that the units were actually well maintained. The rehab work they did was really good. These are older nineteen yeah. seventies trailers, and they it's probably one of the nicer older parks that I've seen in terms of, you know, every home has skirting, uh, every, you know, the, the grounds are maintained, uh, everything has got a fresh roof coating on it. You know, a lot of them have, have been re-roofed over the years. I mean, a lot of the, uh, the the tenants that live in there have pride of ownership. They have flowers outside, they have little fences. I mean, it's a really nice looking park. So the park itself was really well maintained, but it just, it shouldn't have cost that much money for them to maintain it that well. So, you know, a couple of things that we did also is uh, as we were going through this due diligence process, we wanted to see what the demand was for you know, both renting these units for a higher price, but also even selling them. Because our goal, once we took over, was to, number one, raise rents uh, on the rental trailers. But also, number two, is as we had leases coming up or as we were evicting people, we were going to turn around, renovate the trailer, and then try to sell it all for cash. And, um, we, so we placed some ads on Craigslist and we got an incredible response from both types of ads. In fact, I think what we were doing for the two bedrooms, um, was 595 and for the three bedroom units was 650 and what they were renting for when we were first going through the process of due diligence. I think what the two bedrooms on average Charles were probably like the 400 range, $425 range.
2: Yeah. There were some of those that were like, I think, uh, I pulled up the accounts receivable yesterday. Uh, some of those. We're right around like 350, um, you know, about 400. And then even the three bedrooms, I think the highest price three bedroom they had was a was a 96 model. Mm-hmm. And they were renting that for 500. Yeah. Um, I, I, one thing that did happen that was maybe a little upsetting to us is that the manager on his own accord, while we were in due diligence, went around and raised all the rents. Um, but he didn't go high enough. On the rental units, that is. He yeah, did it on, the on the rental, rental units. units. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which so he, wasn't a big deal but well, he, yeah he
1: thought he was doing us a favor being the new owners I think he just wanted to kind of um, uh, he wanted to show his worth to us and so about a what was it, about a week or so before the closing maybe two weeks before the closing he went around and uh, raised the rents um, pretty significant amount too uh, yeah <laughs> I mean you know what about probably about twenty five thirty percent if not more in some cases um, yeah yeah, and so, and a lot of those tenants stuck stuck around, and in fact, what he did he didn 't just raise the rents. this was kind of unique he didn 't just raise the rents, but he basically required that they pay him an additional security deposit as well, and so if they if their rent was four hundred dollars prior. That means they also had a $400 security deposit on file. Well, if he was raising it to $500, he went back and said, okay, well, next month starting, your rent's going to go to 500 But also, you need to give me another $100 to put on file for your security deposit, which in turn helped us out because at closing, we got all those security deposits transferred to us and so we walked away from closing with a with a pretty big uh, pretty big number of uh, security deposits right what was that number Charles about 25 grand or so that we ended up with or 20 grand yeah it was it
2: was right' it was a little over 20 grand is what we ended up with in security deposits yeah yeah so that
1: worked out in Which, our favor although he did make them sign new year leases so like Charles had said he didn't raise them high enough but um, as those things come up as they renew we 're going to definitely be bumping them up but like I said as well we we had really we had really good um, we felt really good about the, the the ability to sell off some of these units for cash but because our whole goal really in a perfect world would be to have zero rental units now we 're not in a perfect world, and it 's not there's not many parks you see that are completely 100% lot rental, but we wanted to, our goal would be to take this park to as close of a lot rental park as possible over over time, and so as these units have been renewing, now it's been. As of this recording, it's been what about six or seven months since we purchased that park, Charles. Yeah, it's been right in there about seven, be seven months in the sixth. And give us the numbers how, yeah. of, of how many we have sold. Do you, do you have that number in front of you, Charles? How many we've sold so far? Because we 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 went through tax season basically, and we we had some basically uh, units come vacant, and we had really good luck selling these units off
2: for cash to people that wanted to be just lot renters. Yeah, um, we've we sold. So we sold uh, five for cash uh, during during tax season. It mostly happened in February and March. And then, uh, in addition to that, we had two tenants that were currently in the park. They signed up for that uh, the rent credit program that we do. Um, and then we've also been able to put five or six new tenants into that rent credit program as well. So we, we've actually got a line on selling about twelve. So we've got five already done and maybe seven on rent credit right now. Mm-hmm. And we did go back to the existing tenants
1: that were in there. Uh, when we, once we closed in the park, we went to the ones that were renters that had been there. I forget what we looked at, Charles. We wanted to know that they were there for at least a year and that they paid on time, right? We wanted to see that they were stable tenants. And we went and offered them um, the opportunity to do a rent-to-own program. Because really, our whole goal is to get out from underneath of the maintenance of these units. Because once we can eliminate the maintenance and the repairs of these units... We can hopefully phase out the twenty-four thousand dollars a year handyman that's on payroll full time, and just contract work out as we need it. That's kind of our long-term goal with this property here, and um, you know. So, but we only had when we offered that up to the the residents, we only had was it two takers? That, yeah, that- we had we had two takers (laughs) out of 31 (laughs) yeah out of 31 we only had two takers which was very surprising to us but uh, from my understanding charles after talking to the manager the other day those two takers have done lots of improvements to their home Uh, they've put like a nice fence around it in fact you were just up there so
2: you saw it did you see you saw some of the improvements that they've made yeah those two those two guys we they they're neighbors so they live next to each other Um, and they put up this really nice three rail wooden fence it's like it's like a It's a really nice looking fence, and he put new gravel on his parking pad. And it's kind of like this colored gravel, and um, he put down some, uh, you know, some some of those, uh, you know, those wooden barriers that go around the gravel and stuff. And did a little bit of landscaping and put up his own little building in the back. So he he's uh, definitely improved the look of that unit uh, substantially. And his 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 neighbor has done a very similar very similar stuff. They kind of like matched. Uh, each other on their landscaping. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you hope to achieve by
1: turning your park into a lot rental park. You hope to achieve those that have an interest in creating pride of ownership in their unit. And you, you hope that becomes infectious and that it spreads throughout the community. And so our goal, like I had mentioned, is to turn this at some point in time in the future. I mean, we're going to keep working towards that goal of turning it into a, a lot rental park. And so one thing that I, I, I didn't finish my... Um, Um, My thought process of what I was saying earlier about, you know, we did some test ads on Craigslist, Uh, you know, the rent, the the rents were lower than what the market was. And so what we did to know that there's some room in in raising rents, both from a lot standpoint, and also from a rental standpoint, and to also know that we had some demand for selling these units is we put test ads out there on Craigslist, Uh, we put the two bedrooms at 595 and the three bedrooms at 650. And like Charles had said, a lot of the two bedrooms were in the 350, 400 range. I mean, they which is you know two hundred two hundred fifty dollars less than what we were about to market these for on Craigslist to see what kind of demand that that we would receive, and we definitely received a huge demand at the five ninety five for the two bedrooms and the six fifty for the three bedrooms. I mean, I'm talking like I don't remember
2: sometimes fifteen phone calls a day, Charles. Right? I mean, sometimes more than that even. Yeah, I mean, when we started using, uh, I mean, obviously during diligence we used the the Craigslist ads, but when we started using banded signs. Um, it, it was just, it was crazy how many phone calls we'd get.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that you know, the, the park, what we thought was true was true in terms of how it was being mismanaged, and and um, so I'm gonna, Charles, I'm gonna pass back to you because I wanna, what I'd like to do now is kind of we we gave the problems like we we gave all the listeners the problems of the park and you know kind of where we saw the opportunity like where the opportunity lied like that was reducing expenses based on firing people um you know raising rents increasing the revenues so we kind of gave the background of the park itself but now i want to give them kind of what it looks like today i mean because we've got you've got some numbers in front of you for the operations of the year to date and so bring our listeners up to speed with basically, number one, how long it took for us to get that park stabilized, because it was much shorter than what we had projected. I think we initially projected, OK, six months, worst case scenario, we'll get this thing turned around. It happened a lot faster than that. And, um, you know, we were planning not taking on distributions for a number of months, and that happened a lot sooner. So this thing's been a real exciting um, uh, purchase for us, and it's it's just been one of those home runs. And so, Charles, take a few minutes to talk about the operations to date and, and what they look like
2: sure uh so when we started when we started out the day that we closed we had uh like we mentioned before 52 total lots and we had uh let's see 51 of or 52 of those lots so all 52 had homes on them and i think that out of the 31 park owned homes we had only 5 of those were vacant at time of closing so we basically had let's see we had 47 uh total renters at that time uh, and then the, the lot rent in the park was 280, and and then in the, and the park also bills back for water, sewer and trash. So the first thing that we did is we, we came in and we raised the rent, uh, to 300, which is still a little bit below market on the lot rent. Uh, we raised all the rents on the, on the park owned homes, uh, as far as the ones that we could, we could raise rents on. And, uh, you know, as of right now, our NOI for, uh, just the lot rent portion, so just the land lease component of the, of, of our parks. So, it's about sixty thousand dollars right now on the NOI, and that's only for the first six months. So, you know, annualize that's about one hundred twenty thousand is, is is our NOI just on just on the lots. And so, give us give us what the numbers look like once you factor in the rental income as well, because that
1: it gets real exciting at that point in time. And and also give us an idea of year to date what we're
2: running at from an expense uh, ratio standpoint. Yeah, our our expense ratio right now on just the land lease side is right around 30% and then for the park owned homes cuz we separate that in our accounting process mm-hmm. uh the, the homes run they still run pretty high about 60% expense ratio um and a lot of that's our our maintenance man's salary yeah um, you know he does a lot of a lot of a lot of the work now that that used to be hired out so You know, we do cash flow the park-owned homes. I think so far we've probably received between selling and and uh, just regular cash flow. We've we've received quite a bit of money. I think it's been about uh, probably about forty thousand just on that side of the business Mm -hmm. of cash flow. And then uh, and again, you know, our returns year to date as far as what we've taken in distributions is we've taken I think we've hit about thirty five percent of our of our money coming back to us in the first 6 months. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty darn exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's it, quite a bit of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and what what are your projections year uh, uh for 2016 Charles with regards to uh to cash on cash? I mean, do you think we'll be somewhere in like the
2: 70-80% range? We should be pretty close to that 70-80% or 80% range. Um you know, we're we're turning over a lot of the we're getting we're getting rid of a lot of these units. And uh, obviously I think that the cash on cash may not be as strong next year uh, because we've actually have been lucky that we've been able to cash flow the homes, the home side of the business so well, Um, but it'll still be pretty strong yeah well the exciting part about that is is that
1: once we as we sell more of these units number one we'll get a a chunk of cash when we sell most of them we're selling between you know three and five thousand dollars that's kind of like the uh i guess the the average size like i said these are older 70s model trailers so we'll get chunks of money when we sell these and basically when we bought this park we got these units for free we didn't pay any extra for these units we didn't place any value on them whatsoever and so every every one we sell is just money in our pocket but The beautiful thing is is that once we get to a point, probably probably when we sell another, probably another fifteen or so. Once we have another fifteen or so gone, we'll be able to eliminate or at least reduce very in a very big way the um, the salary that goes to the maintenance guy. In fact, he'll probably quit if we reduce it, so we'll probably just eliminate it completely, uh, which is Mm twenty four thousand a year. And then we'll be able to we'll be able to contract out that work as needed. Which I can promise you, at that point in time, we only have a few park owned units. Our maintenance will not be twenty four thousand dollars a year, um, j- just for labor. It, it shouldn't be,
2: and if it is, that means we're doing something wrong. Would you agree with that, Charles? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really don't. Th- he does a lot of stuff for us. Like he's he's got a little roto rooter machine, so he can do all the plumbing stuff in the park. You know, he he's got a lot of equipment, um, but I think at the once we get it down to almost all lot renters, you know, he'll he'll just be too expensive for for what's needed. At that point Mm -hmm.
1: yep no i agree with you and uh so just kind of give you guys an overview of this property here i mean just kind of do a recap for you it's a deal that we found by doing direct mail you guys know that we love direct mail and we do it quite often we also do cold calling so we do everything uh we do work with brokers here and there but i can tell you that the last deals that last couple deals uh, last majority actually a majority of the deals that we've done have been direct to owners so we do like brokers nothing against brokers but we find better opportunities we feel by going direct to the owners. And so this deal came from um, the database we created. It came from uh, a personalized direct mailer that we sent to the owner. And, you know, we negotiated a lot of this over the telephone initially uh, in terms of the pricing and also even seller financing, at least him being open to seller financing. And uh, this is a deal that just from... We knew enough on the market, we knew enough on his operations that we knew there were some big problems in his financials of why this thing was costing so much to operate. And immediately, without having to do much more research, we just knew, at least I knew from the initial conversation, that we could fix whatever the problems were. We didn't know what they were yet at that point in time, but I knew that we could fix those problems and that if we could buy this for the right price – that it would be an incredible deal. And so that's kind of what the recap is in terms of the park itself. Like it's 52 spaces, 31 uh, rental trailers when we acquired it, um, 21 lot renters. And uh, now today, just to give you guys kind of the end game, where we're at today with what Charles just mentioned regarding our finances, this thing, I mean, this this is a conservative approach. If we were to turn around, and sell this thing today, put it on the market, assuming that this is a ten cap marketplace, which is fairly accurate, it might even be a nine cap market. What do you think, Charles? I mean, if we were, in today's climate, everything's selling, it's selling for a little higher than what it should be. We probably could move this thing at a nine cap, and and at that nine cap rate, mm-hmm. this thing would be worth what, what do you think all day long one point one one point two million dollars, if not more than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I
2: think it would I think we could easily probably we could probably exit from this today at one point one point one or one point two.
1: Yeah, easily. Like yeah. actually like get a lot of offers on the table if we priced it at that. Which so and essentially in six or seven months we've doubled our value and we're taking very large distributions from it. So uh and we don't say um, we're not telling you this or doing this case study to brag about this deal because like as Charlotte had mentioned, we've got other deals in the pipe right now that are Along the same lines as this one, in terms of the opportunity that is present based on the mismanage of the, of the asset as it sits today, and so we tell you this because there 's other opportunities out there like this one. I mean, we did nothing special to find this deal i mean we took it took time and effort and energy on our part uh, to build this database. you have know, to send direct mailers and things like that but these are things that you can do, right? I mean, these are all things that you can do yourself, and it, it wasn't rocket science, and so there's other deals out there like this one, and this one deal alone could really change one person's life. I mean, if you're an individual that's working full time, let's say you make you know $80,000 a year at your job, which is a good job, I mean, you're a good wage earner, um, but you're really trying to quit the rat race, trying to get out of the corporate world, you got some money saved up, um, a park like this could literally replace your full time income in fact, I mean exceed your full time income mm-hmm. um, what What, what do we put down this? We put one hundred and sixty two thousand five hundred dollars down. It was twenty five percent down the six fifty so someone with that much money looking to do do to do a deal could buy a park just like this one and it would change their entire life. I mean, they could literally quit their full time job and make significant cash flow from just one opportunity like this one. So, Charles, do you have anything
2: else to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it, just to just to reiterate that, I mean, we're doing a deal right now with, uh, you know, with basically, a. it's sort of like a coaching student we took on uh, a couple months ago. You know, he doesn't pay for the coaching. He just kind of, you know, bounces ideas off of, our, off of us. And uh, we're doing a deal with him that's that's very, very similar to this one as far yeah. as what the numbers could look like. Yeah,
1: just real quick. We've got a few minutes here. Let's uh, give a broad overview of that one because I think that you're right. That one's smaller in nature in terms of uh, the acquisition price point. And so the entry into that deal, almost anyone could get. I mean, in terms of down payment money and uh, the amount that's going to be required for capital improvements, the, someone out there that has just a tiny bit of savings could easily do a
2: deal like that one. So g- give them some uh, information on that one, Charles, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a It's a 30... 30- Let's see it's got it's i think it's a thirty two space park We haven't really uh been out to it yet. We just put it under contract to, today actually um but you know it's a thirty two space park it's uh, it's all lot renters and uh they they the lot renters pay about three hundred dollars a month um and it's below market on their rents and it's it was run pretty poorly uh you know sort of similar as far as its performance as as Petersburg is where, you know, in this case, the owner just doesn't collect the rent. They they only collect maybe about fifty or sixty percent of the rent, so their numbers look horrible. And uh, it was, you know, again, this this coaching student reached out to to these owners, and they uh, negotiated this deal. They negotiated it down to a two hundred thousand dollar purchase price. It's probably a park that could, could could be worth about five hundred and fifty thousand uh, once once the collections are fixed. Um, 10% down, so $20,000 down. And the park needs maybe about $30,000 worth of work to it. Uh, but that, that's really all in at $50,000. Mm-hmm. And that, w- that with, park will- w- With four months of deferred payments. Don't forget oh, yeah, about that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to forget about that. <laughs> I mean, the, the financing terms are incredible too. It's a 30-year amortization. I think it's a 6% interest rate. So it, you know, it's a, it's a pretty incredible deal. 10-year balloon so we've got plenty of time to get that
1: place turned around I believe there are some empty spaces in the park and so there might be some opportunity for us to bring in some homes but um, it's a and it's a entirely a lot rental park. And so everyone in there that lives there now owns their own home. There's no rental units, uh, at least from what we understand now, and we're pretty confident with that, that there are no rental units. That there are, there might be like one abandoned home that we'll have to take back, either destroy or renovate and turn into a, a, a rental unit or try, try to sell it off. But in any event, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a, lot, a smaller lot rental park, and it's actually surrounded by, it's literally right across the street, are, is, is, it's like one or two neighborhoods of half million dollar homes. I mean, really big, nice executive style homes and so it's in a good area good location it's just been neglected um, I mean it's been neglected for about 10 years and uh, my understanding is that the the lady that owns it now her husband uh, it was kind of his baby and he passed away 10 years ago and she lives like 5, five or 6 hours away and She just doesn't enforce anything. I mean, she doesn't enforce collections. Um, I'm sure we're going to run into a situation where there's multiple residents that haven't paid for a few months. Um, So we'll probably have to do some evictions, uh, things like that. But uh, in any event, it's a good area. Uh, It's got high lot rents. And I think it's a great opportunity, especially based on the financing. So we're super excited about that one. But really, again, the reason why we're mentioning the story to you is that. Anyone, almost anyone, could do a deal this size. I mean, twenty thousand down, another thirty thousand capital improvements is going to make this park look great. That's going to fix up the roads. It's going to put new signage up. We'll probably put some nice white fencing in the park. Uh, probably trim up some trees. Aesthetically, this park will look really good. I mean, it's not a Taj Mahal by any means. I mean, but it's 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 going to be a good looking little park. And for fifty grand total, all in you really could create yourself a cash cow. And so, again, the reason why we bring this up is because we just want you guys to know that these deals that we speak about, these are doable deals and they're out there. They're not like little needles in the haystack that only exist here and there. I mean, there's other opportunities out there like this. So, Charles, is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to add before we say goodbye for the day?
2: No, I think that's it. I think we covered everything.
1: Okay, well, good deal. Well, guys, that's all we have then for today's episode. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Before Charles and I say goodbye, I'd like to ask a small favor of you if I could. If you love our content and you feel that the information that Charles and I share with you adds value to you and your business, then please take a minute and show us some love by going over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review for this podcast. And to show our appreciation to, to those who take the time to leave this review on iTunes, Charles and I have decided to give you a free copy of the exact cold calling script that we use when calling on park owners. We don't just give this kind of stuff to anyone, but we're going to give it to you for free if you go over to iTunes and leave that five-star rating and review. And and Here's a real quick uh, instructions on how you're going to redeem that free gift from us. After you submit your review on iTunes, go ahead and send us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com and tell us who you are and what screen name you use to leave your review, and we'll go ahead and send you your free gift. And if you'd like some other great information regarding mobile home park investing, be sure to check us out on our website, which is mobilehomeparkacademy.com. And on that website, there's also a free ebook available for you as well, which is called the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when purchasing their first mobile home park and how to avoid them. This is a book that Charles and I wrote and we sat down and basically we listed out every single mistake, you know, big mistake that we think that new investors can make getting into the park business. And we came up with 21 and it's a, it's a, it's a book that's chock full of great content and really just, um, it's very in depth about each one of these mistakes and how to truly avoid them and how to identify them and avoid them so that you can save hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars when you're buying your first park so um guys that's all we have for today so i appreciate you joining us and this is your host kevin buck and charles d hart signing off
0: congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing be sure to visit our website mobilehomeparkacademy.com to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.